Hey, and welcome to the 12 Stone Church Podcast. Thank you so much for taking time to be a part of today's message. We hope it inspires you, encourages you, and deepens your faith in Jesus. Enjoy the message. I went to church every week. My brother and I would sit in pews like this and spend hours and hours in church. Every Sunday morning and every Sunday night and every Wednesday night and choir practice on Thursday night, we would we would roll underneath the pews from the back to the front and try to be sneaky. We, we pretended to be ninjas during choir practice underneath the pews. I can remember during my dad's messages getting slightly bored and I could tell you the exact number of ceiling tiles in the ceiling because I counted them so many times, the exact number of light fixtures hanging in the sanctuary of the church. Back then, the old ladies, man, in the church, they were the go-to because they always had their hard candies in their purse, right? They'd slip you a little hard candy during the message to keep you occupied, but I don't know of a louder noise than a child trying to open up a hard candy during the message. We're currently sitting in the future home of our 12 Stone Athens campus. And when I pulled up today and I opened the doors, the smell hit me. Like all the memories started flying back of what church felt like as a kid, what it smelled like as a kid. Like something happened in my heart. It brought me back to what faith was like and what church was like as a kid. The things that I dreaded as a kid, now I'm like, pews, I I miss these things. It's, it's, It's really more than nostalgia. It's how faith was handed down from one generation to the next. The hours, I would spend at altars over my lifetime praying and sort of responding to things God was driving into my life and inviting me into the hours I spent listening and singing in rooms just like this. It's a beautiful legacy of faith. So over the course of the next four weeks, we're gonna take a look back and what shapes culture and faith and, and belief like music does. I remember these songs. Turn to your in your songbook to hymn 387 and we'd sing blessed assurance and victory in Jesus and it is well with my soul. And these things shaped me as a kid and I still remember the words and the truth of these songs. So as we look back at what was always true of God and is still true of God, it's going to shape our faith today. Hey, campuses, glad you guys are with us. 12 Stone Home and Church Online. Sugarloaf here live in the room. We're going to sing an old hymn for you guys. You cool with that? Hey, I grew up in a, uh, a real small traditional church in a small town, Iowa. Most of you have no idea where that is, and it's okay. If you know where Iowa is, tell your neighbor. But uh, growing up, most of the time, we didn't actually get to use this. So can you take that from me? Don't drop it, please. Um, we're going to sing a song called Crown Him With Many Crowns. Y'all know that one? If you don't, we're going to sing it for you. But before we get into it, the way we're going to do it, I'm going to show you the way that I grew up learning it. Kervin, can you, uh, there we go. Crown him with many crowns. 
upon his different today, okay? So you can stay seated, but you may want to get up, but enjoy this. Kyle. It's okay to move in church. It's okay to clap in church. We're going to enjoy this together. Come on. Crown him with many Yes, 
anybody could step up and preach after that. Uh, crown him with many crowns. So good. And what's important for us as we celebrate and we sing a song that has been sung for 175 years, we sing it and we celebrate the truth of who Jesus is, what he's done for us, his power and his love. We need to slow down a little bit in the midst of celebration and just I just focus on truth. So I want, I want to go over some of the, the lyrics that we just sung. So that as we move from celebration into the depth of what God does through a song. The depth of what God does through a worship and a hymn. So listen to these words that we just sung. And, and allow this truth to, to do something deep inside of you. It says, crown him with many crowns. The lamb upon his throne. Hark how the heavenly anthem drowns all music but its own. Awake my soul and sing of him who died for thee and hail him as thy matchless king through all eternity. Crown him the Lord of life who triumphed o'er the grave. Or, by the way, is the fancy hymn way of saying over. Who triumphed o'er the grave. And rose victorious in the strife for those he came to save. His glories now we sing, who died and rose on high, who died eternal life to bring, and lives that death may die. Crown him the Lord of heaven, enthroned in worlds above. Crown him the king to whom is given the wondrous name of love. Crown him with many crowns. As thrones before him fall, crown him, ye kings, little K, crown him, ye kings, with many crowns, for he is king of all. Isn't that good? Woo. This hymn was written in the 1850s in England by two Anglican ministers named Matthew Bridges and Godfrey Thring. Essentially, this song is a song of praise that was written out of the book of Revelation. Revelation 19.12 being the specific inspiration. It says this, his eyes are like blazing fire and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. The primary writer of this hymn, Bridges, he wanted a hymn that simply would recount the crowns that Jesus has. So he writes nine stanzas, and each stanza just talks about a crown. It says many crowns, the, the crown of heaven, the crown of life, the, the Lord of love. Because he knew, and I think we know, that there are times where we just need a song to help us internalize and describe the character of God. Like There are moments when you read something about God, who he is and what he's like, and all you can do is sing. Hymns and songs have been used by God's people for millennia, from generation to generation, to help transfer truth and theology of who God is to the next generation. 
And so 175 years later, after Crown Him with Many Crowns was written, we can still sing it, and it moves our hearts to worship. Aren't you thankful for hymns and thankful for songs? Because we need words to express truth. We need words to express something like Jesus really is king. That there is no crown bigger than his crown. That he is almighty. He is all powerful from past, present, and into the future. That he deserves all honor and it's his name to be revealed in glory. We adore and we worship and we follow him because he is at the center of the universe in beauty and in praise. His kingship is unthreatenable. His authority cannot be impeached. He rules over all, always and forever. Jesus is a good king. And so we sing. We sing, crown him with many crowns because he is a good king. Now, I don't know what comes to your mind when you think of the word king. We probably have several different mental pictures in the room. Some of you, when you hear the word king, you think of the royal family. Anybody confess a slight obsession with the royal family? Yeah, everybody's bashful to raise their hand on that one. Uh, Maybe you think of medieval armies or you think of an ancient throne with an old man sitting on it. I found an American version of king that I couldn't get out of my head as I was thinking about this sermon. I couldn't stop thinking about Burger King um, and a Whopper. And I, I, I don't know if you know this, but there's a new Whopper jingle out that is all over TikTok. It's a social media phrase. Anybody heard this Whopper jingle? Okay, four of you. Well, I heard about the Whopper jingle and I thought I need to learn it for you guys. Are you ready? And you're not ready. It goes something like, Whopper, 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 Junior, Double, Bacon, Whopper, all flame grilled taste and all the toppers. I rule this day. Lettuce, mayo, pickle, ketchup. It's okay if I don't want that impossible or bacon Whopper. Have it my way at BK. You rule. Yeah, you're being, you're being way too nice. But I I don't know what your mental picture is of a king, but we all have one. So I have to work to help us have a practical, deeper thought about king. Let me just simply start by saying this. You have a king. There is something or someone that rules your life. You have a crown to give. You give influence and leadership of your life over to something or to someone whether it's Jesus or not. I I do feel like I have to do a quick disclaimer as I teach this thought that Jesus is king. Uh, I'm talking to you as the individual, not you as a citizen of a country. This is not a commentary on governing authorities. So if any of us leave and you start breaking laws and acting all crazy, and then somebody asks you why, and you're like, well, too bad, Jesus is my king. That's not the the conversation we're having today. Here's, Here's what I mean. Every day, You have a crown to give. You crown something or someone. Now, obviously, I don't mean this literally, but but in how we live, we always give away a crown. You have a crown to give, and we make kings out of all sorts of things. We make kings out of things, out of people, 
out of circumstances, out of dreams, out of relationships. And we do this with our affection, our time, our attention, and our loyalty. That's how we crown things and people in our lives, with our affection, our time, our attention, and our loyalty. Our affection, we crown with how we love. With our time, especially our free time, we crown with how we use our time. Our attention, we crown with our thought life, don't we? We crown with how we think. We crown with our eyes. We crown with how we plan. And then loyalty. We crown by how we stick with certain things. Our commitments reveal who or what we've crowned with our lives. So here's the, the, the big thought that, that what gets the majority of your affection, your time, your attention, and your loyalty is actually your king. And I hope you hear this today. Who you crown as king of your life is the most important thing about you. Who you crown as king of your life is the most important thing about you because who or what gets your affection or gets your time or gets your attention or gets your loyalty actually gets you. Gets your direction. Gets your dreams. Gets your relationships. Gets your eternity. All of this is tied up with who you crown as king of your life. So, what or who do you crown? The tension is we often crown the wrong things. Sometimes it is we do crown things. <laughs> we crown the idea of money or our next home or our next vehicle or that, that hobby that takes up a lot of time and, and money. We crown people, celebrities, politicians, Friendships, you, you crown this idea of a certain friendship circle, right? This, this social world, you crown that idea. You crown even your family. We crown our spouses as king. We, we crown our kids as king. And, and parents, I, I'm going to teach on this here a little bit more, but I feel like I have to take one little thought for parents right here. Parents, if you are crowning your kids as king of your life, the weight of that crown on them will crush them. Your parent, like your kids need you to be their parents, not their kingmakers. Because a crown has weight. And we also crown things like our dreams. We crown this thought of one day, if I could just get there, if I could just get that job, if I could just get uh, that future, we crown an idea, we crown a dream. And at the core of it is actually this issue of we crown ourselves. The crown doesn't quite fit, but you get the idea. We crown ourselves. Specifically, we crown our desires, our wants. We crown our inner voice as the authority of our lives. Let me give you one more filter of how to know what you crown. I would say, like, what are you obsessed with? What can you not stop thinking about? What keeps you up at night? What, 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 what stays in your mind? Where are your fears? Where are your nerves? Where's your worry? That might be a filter to how to figure out, like, what have you crowned as king of your life? Now, I, I, of course, 
<laughs> Philette, I've got to say this. Of course, good things in your life should get your affection, your attention, your time, and your loyalty. I'm not saying withhold those things from good things. Like, don't withhold that from your job. Hey, my, my pastor said that I, I don't need to be loyal to my boss. No, that's not what I'm saying. And of course, your spouse, your family, they need your affection, your time, your attention, and your loyalty. But here's the question. Who sits on top? Who or what is on top of your life? Who or what wears the highest and the ultimate crown of your life? Because here's the truth. Only Jesus can actually stand the weight of the crown that you have to give. Only Jesus can actually stand. He has the strength to bear the weight of what it means for you to give your worship, your affection, your time, your attention, and your loyalty. And we're going to see that that is good news because Jesus is a really good king. Revelation 4 and 5, we're going to step into this commentary from the Apostle John in the throne room, and we're going to see that Jesus is a good king because he is a powerful king, and he is a loving king. Revelation chapter 4, we're going to start in verse 5. Here's an important thought when we read the book of Revelation. First, I do want you to picture this with me. You're not going to be able to, but, but, but go for it. Picture the throne room. Then also recognize that where we see symbols and imagery that we don't understand, the best way to read Revelation is actually to read it uh, with a focus of who and why and not get lost in the what. Deal? Get, as you read Revelation, who and why, don't get lost in the what. He is a powerful king. Revelation chapter 4, starting in verse 5. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder. In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Also in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center, don't miss this, in the center around the throne were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third was like the face of a man. The fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around and under its wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders, they also fall down before him who sits on the throne and they worship him who lives forever and ever. And they lay their crowns before the throne. And they say, you are worthy. You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. We respond to this picture of, of a throne room, and there's, there's these creatures that, that are worshiping, and there's these elders that are worshiping. And if you keep reading in Revelation, there's this myriad of this host of angels that are worshiping. And what they're doing is they see God at the center of the throne room, and they start to sing like we do when we see God, like holy, holy, holy. And it's their it's the, the power of God that brings him to this place of just going, we got to sing. Holy, holy, 
holy. So here's the first thing I want us to learn about God's power from this passage. You see, God is the only being in existence who has power that wasn't given to him from something or someone else. Which means he is uniquely worthy of our worship. He's uniquely worthy of the crowns that we have to give. Jackie Hill Perry, author of a book called Holier Than Thou, she says it like this. God rules with a power that he doesn't have to borrow. Hmm. He's the only one in the universe who has his own crown. Think about it. Everyone else who has ever ruled in any way had to be given a crown or they had to take a crown from someone else. Kings of the past and political leaders of the present have to be in line for succession or they have to be elected or they have to overthrow another leader and another army in order to wear the crown. But our God, he's not elected. There's no king before him. There's no king in line of succession after him. There's no overthrowing his army. He owns it all and he rules it all. And from his throne comes glory and honor and power, which means... This is important. Don't miss this, which means he's king, whether we worship him or not. Watch this. Watch this carefully. Absorb this thought. Anything or anyone else actually requires us in order to become a king. Anything or anyone else actually requires you and I in order to become a king. Since everything and everyone else has to borrow power from another, it's our crowns that give kingship to the things and the people in our lives. But the kingdom of Jesus is not contingent on you and me, which frees us up. Like this should feel like freedom because we don't have to make him king. We just get to surrender to him as our king. So we don't bear the weight of acting like he needs our crown in order to have his authority. And guys, this is really good news. Because I let me down all the time. I make really poor decisions all the time. If I'm responsible for upholding the power of my kingdom, the only place I'm going to find myself is disappointment. Because anything other than Jesus has a shelf life. It has weakness. He is forever. I want you to get really honest with yourself for, for just a moment and, and honest with God. But sometimes we have to be honest with ourselves. Are you tired? Are you perpetually sad? Do you feel overwhelmed and unfulfilled? Does it look like life is just scattered with broken relationships? Could it be? Could it be? That you've crowned something as Lord of your life that doesn't have the power to uphold being your king. Could it be that there is something that you have crowned as king of your life that is crumbling because it was never meant to carry the weight of being your king? I see this in so many people's lives as a pastor. I see it in my own. 
or we crown lesser things and we get stuck in this cycle of disappointment and frustration because our king actually doesn't have the power to uphold a kingdom. Now, here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that following Jesus is always easy because it's not. And I'm also not saying that people who don't follow Jesus are always miserable because that's not what I'm saying. But here's what I am saying. That the defining characteristic, the defining, like what is the kingdom of God like? The defining characteristics of the kingdom of God are life and purpose and joy and satisfaction and peace. Which means this, we have to understand that worshiping King Jesus is not for him. Go with me here. Some of you are having like a theological conundrum. Go with me. Of course, he's honorable. Of course, he deserves it. That's the whole point of this teaching. He's King Jesus. But when we worship him, it's not like he's a beggar in the sky asking for the nickels of our praise in order for his kingdom to be established. So if worshiping Jesus is not as if we're giving him something, worshiping Jesus is for who? It's for us. It's for us. Because when we worship him, all the good things that flow from his throne come into our lives, life and purpose and joy and satisfaction and peace. But one of the fundamental issues that I think we currently face, we all face it. So this is not just an out there people who don't follow God thing. But I will say that one of the primary issues that we see in the world around us in culture and in society is that people want the kingdom without the king. We want the kingdom without the king. It's like we want the benefits of the kingdom. We want the joy. We want the peace. We want the satisfaction. I I, I sometimes want to step out into the world and you, you see people who have their back turned to God chasing after things that only come from him. And I want to shake them and say, hey, you're never going to find what you're looking for out there. You're only going to find what you're looking for right here. Like this is who he is. We want the kingdom without the king. We want all the benefits done our way and on our terms. So when I talk about things crumbling under the weight of a crown, I think this is intentional because we have to be confronted with the insufficiency of anything apart from God. We have to be confronted with that. We have to be reminded of how small we are, how short our lives are, and how much power we don't have. We have to right-size our lives. We have to remind ourselves that we're actually kind of small in this whole thing. As I was writing that thought this week, and I was thinking about, man, part of this is I have to remind myself of how small I am underneath how big he is. Like, I'm not king. He's king. I'm small. uh, An early 2000s country song came to my mind, which, by the way, late 90s, early 2000s, that's a great season for country music. I couldn't tell you much of what's being sung today, but I could sing you some Alan Jackson, Toby Keith, Kenny Chesney, some of that. And I thought of that song, that 2000s Leanne Womack song, uh, I Hope You Dance. (laughs) Uh, I I don't care if you dance, Um, but there she, she has a line. She says, I hope you still feel small when you stand beside the ocean. You know the line I'm talking about? I hope you still feel small when you stand beside the ocean. And I laugh as I think about that, that line. And I hope you dance. Anyway, um, but I had a thought. I hope you still feel small when you sing holy, holy, holy. 
And it's not to our detriment. It's not like I'm saying, hey, press yourself down to nothing. Because I'll talk about what God does to lift us up. I'm just saying we have to right size that if he's king, then he's there and we are small underneath him, which leads us to this place that if we want the benefits of the kingdom, we have to bow to the king. He is a powerful king, but in his power, and this is where the news just gets better. He is also loving Back to Revelation 5. So Revelation 4, we get this picture of his power in the throne room. Revelation 5 is a picture of his love in the throne room, starting in verse 2. This is the Apostle John writing, the writer of Revelation. He said, And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? Pause. Uh, One second. The word scroll, uh, at first glance, you may not be exactly sure. Like, what scroll? What's the scroll for? The way we would read what the scroll is, read it as if in on the scroll, written on the scroll, is the plan of salvation. So when it says, who can open the scroll, it's almost as if the, the angel's asking, hey, who knows the plan of salvation and who can do something about it? One commentator I read said, think of the scroll almost like the deed or the title to the salvation of humanity. So it's almost like the angel's asking, hey, Who can own the plan to save people? So with that in your mind, we keep reading verse 3. But no one, no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll and look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. This is Jesus has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. And then John looks to where the elder says to look. John looks and he says, then I saw a lamb looking as if it's been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by four living creatures and the elders. And the lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Don't get lost in the imagery. Get lost in who? Verse 7. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe, language, people, and nation. I tell you. I tell you, this passage, this passage moves my emotions. It moves my heart. Look look at this with me. The apostle John begins to write in Revelation that he, he weeps as he recognizes this. It's, I mean, think about it. He's a sinner who steps into the throne room and he sees the beauty and the holiness and the perfection of God on the throne. And he's aware of his sin. I mean, you step into perfection, you step into holiness, you're immediately aware of the gap between us sinners and and the beauty and the holiness and the perfection of God. And he begins to weep. Not only is he weeping because he knows this contrast of like, I'm broken. The world's broken. We need something to fix this. He's, he begins to weep because not only does he feel that, but because it looks as if the plan to save mankind is like no one can do it. He begins to feel hopeless. 
Well, this is our state. We're broken. We're far from God. We're not worshiping him the way we should. This is everybody who's ever lived is full of sin. So who can fix this? And then it shouted, no one can. And he begins to weep. And, and here's the thing, like, it doesn't take long for us to weep either. Right? You look at the world and you look at your life and you see sadness and brokenness and pain and we weep and sometimes we wonder like, God, is there a plan? And we feel hopeless and helpless. But it's in that moment of despair that we find what we need, which is the love of a king. Picture this with me. I love this is so powerful. John begins to weep because of sin and brokenness. No one can open the scroll. Then the elder, I picture the elder kind of like, hey, John, John, look up, look up. What do you see? The elder says, I see a lion. He's about to open the scroll. That lion is about to own the plan of salvation. And then John, I picture him kind of wiping his tears away. And he looks up at the same throne, but he sees something different. He sees a lamb. And not only a lamb, but a lamb who looks like he's been slain. And so what is it? Is it a lion that opens the scroll or is it a lamb? The beauty of the gospel is that Jesus is both lion and lamb. That he is the lion who conquers and he's the lamb who sacrifices. So when we see, absolutely. So when, when, when we see, uh, think of a lion, we think of might and power and wisdom. You got to catch this. The elder in his perfection in the throne room, he sees Jesus. He sees power and might as a lion. John, the sinner who's been given access to the throne room, when he sees Jesus, he sees sacrifice and love. He sees a lamb. Jesus is the lion and the lamb. King Jesus is power and love. He is perfectly both. Power does not give way to love, and love does not give way to power because he is infinitely both of these things. So the same God who rules the world, the same God who created and holds things by his will, the same God who's the king over all is the same one who bends to our need in order to love us back into relationship with him. I picture him humbling himself, getting off of the cross. How can I save? Who can own this plan of salvation? Well, I'm going to break the seal. Here's how I'm going to break the seal. I'm going to humble myself to the point of being a lamb who dies on a cross. I'm going to humble myself by paying the debt for their sin. I'm going to, I'm going to die so that, so that my sacrifice could cover their sin debt. And then, and then, I'm going to rise from the dead to just demonstrate that even in my humility of dying on the cross, that I'm still powerful over everything. So Jesus, as the lamb dies on the cross, as the lion, he rises again. And in his love, he says, would you join my kingdom? This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. The lion chooses to be the lamb because he wants us in his kingdom. And when we think of a king, we think high and exalted. We think out of our reach. And, and let me be clear. God is highly exalted, 
Holy, holy, holy is the original song of heaven. He is actually out of our reach. But in the love of Jesus, though he was out of our reach, we were not out of his. And this is the gospel. So we sing, crown him the Lord of love. Behold his hands inside. Rich wounds yet visible above in beauty glorified. No angel in the sky can fully bear the sight, but downward bends his burning eye at mysteries so bright. What's the mystery? The mystery is the angel, the elder saw a lion and we see a lamb. The angel is like the love of God is more than even I can understand. That's the mystery. And our, our king, our good king is powerful and he's loved. So who you crown as king of your life is the most important thing about you. So what do we do with all this? I want to talk to two groups. The first group is some of you are here now and you hear this talk of Jesus is a good king and your heart is being moved and you know you've never had a moment of surrender. You've never had a moment when you actually figuratively or literally bowed your knee and said yes to the invitation of King Jesus. And today, whether it's at a campus or 12 stone home or you're going to pray on your own online, we want you to know that we want to help guide you through what it would look like for you to have a moment of surrender, because that's where it starts. You may have questions, you may have concerns, but to this, this journey of being in the kingdom of God starts with a moment of surrender where you just simply say yes to King Jesus. And I pray that some of you would say yes to Jesus today. And then there's another group of you, many of us who have been walking with God for a while. You have a relationship with him. There was a moment when you crowned him as king of your life. And I want to talk to us for just a second. Here, here's my encouragement to you if you're a follower of Jesus. is to adopt everyday surrender. Adopt everyday surrender. Yeah, here's what I mean by everyday surrender. We have to intentionally choose to crown him as king of our lives every day. And if you're, like, if you're like me, ultimately, like I have to do it multiple times a day. Like I have to, I'll drift and I'll say, God, you're, you're my king. And so among the things that you may pray when you wake up, I would say one of those prayers should be something like, God, you are king and Lord of my life. Today, I surrender to you alone. You can have it all. And you choose every day surrender. Here's a quick analogy that I think will help. Uh, if you're married, think back to your engagement when you proposed. Uh, in a lot of ways, the proposal, the engagement represents the first time the relationship is, is solidified, like where you're going to be and what you're going to do next, get married, spend the rest of your life together. I loved uh, proposing to my wife. Um, uh, we had a short dating relationship. We only dated for about four months because I knew, she knew, and uh, so uh, I wanted to propose. I wanted to, to marry her. And uh, so I began the whole scheming process. I went, I got the ring. Uh, her parents live in Jacksonville, Florida. They were coming up to visit. So I, I kind of stole away an extra hour with them to ask their blessing to propose to Sarah. And then uh, while they were still in town, I, I, I kind of cooked up this, this quick breakfast date where I was going to take her out by the lake, uh, uh, gazebo up near Lake Lanier in Gainesville. And so I picked her up that next morning and I made exactly six muffins because I was uh, 23 years old and I, all I had was a six muffin tin. 
I don't, even, I don't even know if you can find those anymore. Um, so I made her muffins and got some yogurt and her favorite drink from a coffee shop. And I went down and uh, we walked down to this gazebo. And I'm not very uh, good necessarily with always sharing my, my emotions, but I can be pretty cheesy when it comes to romance. And during our dating relationship, we had listened to another song called, uh, kind of funny song by a guy named Shaggy. It, it, it says, Shoddy You My Angel, you know? So I played on my phone as we're walking to the gazebo, like, Shoddy You My Angel. And um, I literally, it's on my phone. We get down to the gazebo, my heart's beating fast. Do you remember this moment, guys? My heart's beating fast. I got a ring in my pocket. I've got some like muffins I bought from Walmart, um, a yogurt parfait. We're eating it and I'm getting ready. I'm like praying over her. I'm about to propose and I got the, about to pull the ring out. <laughs> this is only things God does. Like this guy walks up with his son. I'm literally about to propose. This man walks up with his son, like tucked in polo shirt, pleated khakis, slicked over hair to invite me to their church picnic right down the, the way. And I'm like, bro, I love Jesus and I got something going on here. I proposed to her. She says, yes, we get married four months later. It's, uh, we've married for over 10 years now. Uh, here's the point. Here's the point. <laughs> you guys are too kind. Here's the point. What Sarah, what our relationship requires today is renewed commitment and renewed surrender. I can't borrow from that moment for 10 years. I can't always look back and go, she feels unloved. Un she feels distant from me. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, babe. But you remember that time 10 years ago when I proposed? Like, yeah, remember that and we're going to be good. I think the reality is many of us treat God similar to that. There was a moment in a worship service or a small group or a mission trip or in your room or in conversation with somebody when you surrendered to him and it was beautiful and it was a wonderful moment. But 10 years deep into your relationship with him, you're trying to borrow from that moment when God's invitation to us is everyday surrender. Your surrender has to be as current as possible. And it's not because he, he like needs it from us or, or is like, it's just because it's how relationships work. Like, I, I can't borrow from a moment 10 years ago forever. I have to have this current relationship with him. So if you're not a follower of Jesus, we pray that you would surrender to him today. If you are a follower of Jesus, we pray that your life would move towards everyday surrender. Who you crown as king of your life is the most important thing about you. And he is a good king. He is powerful. And he is loving. And because of that, we can trust him with our lives. So crown him with many crowns, the lamb upon his throne. Hark how the heavenly anthem drowns all music but its own. Awake my soul and sing of him who died for thee and hail him as thy matchless king through all eternity. Thank you again for spending time with us today. A special thanks to those of you who generously give through 12 Stone. It is because of you that this ministry is possible. And if you want to learn more about 12 Stone, make sure you follow us on social at 12 Stone Church and check out a location or a watch party near you. And if you enjoyed the podcast, you could subscribe, share it with your friends, hit the share button, or even take a screenshot and throw it in your social stories. And make sure to tag 12 Stone Church. Let it be a blessing to somebody else. Thank you again, and we'll catch you on the next one.